Intersection is brought to you by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Learn more at touchpoint.health. My passion, I would say, is injustice. That is the thing, and so it's a it comes in a variety of forms, right? Like there's just a lot of things in the world that um, make me that make my heart hurt and make me upset and want to fight for it to be right. Um, that's been a, a hard thing over the years because I've always wanted, like as a journalist, I went into journalism because I saw a lot of injustice in the world and I wanted to make it right. But then I got upset because I would write an article about something that happened or somebody who was evil and nobody would come in and fix it. And so it was great disappointment that drove me out of the business. So in terms of just injustice, um, kids a lot, that pulls on my heartstrings and my passion um, and how I use that on a daily basis is being on the college campus and teaching um, undergraduates. And I don't just teach them, I feel like, about public speaking or PR. I I try to, <laughs> to teach them how to be a good person and how to grow to be a adult who's going to be a champion and contribute to the society. Passionate people find causes that create true impact. I don't feel like I'm just teaching them practical skills, but how to be a good person, and this is what we need in the world. We need ethical people. We need people who are confident and willing to also speak up when there is an injustice. You can hear the passion in her voice. Just looking at what's happening in our government right now, um, those are those are skills that I think apply to whatever field you're going into. If people can trust you, they know you're honest, you're reliable, you're dependable. Kind of the soft skills that we're talking about. So it's not just, you know, do you know how to write this press release? But are we going to be accurate, authentic, and ethical when we send out this press release? Do you have genuine, authentic relationships with the people who you need to have relationships with? We talk about that. I mean, right? That's like the, the fundamental thing about PR, it is based on relationships. And so the trust that you build, you know, you are a person and you are representing your company, but it's the personal relationship that you have with those other, um, your customers, with the other workers at the other, at the newspaper that you've got to connect with and get them to run your press release. Um, those are the, the skills that I really try to drive home, not just can you write a good lead. So here's the question. Why should a few major academic institutions care about the future of their mascots, their real mascots, and the impact on the food tree? So it's really through my boss, um, Brett Wright. We, he, I worked with him and he was the dean of the College of Behavioral, Social, and Health Sciences, and I was his development officer. And he was transitioning into this. We had been talking about tigers a lot. Um, I kind of had been working on it peripherally with him during that time. Tigers the animal? Yeah, yes, yes, saving, yes, not Clemson University Tigers, not the football team. Yes, Tigers the animal, um, and understanding, again, it was one of those things where I didn't know much about it, and a lot of people don't, and so it was, 
here's another injustice that's happening in the world um, where we're losing our wild tigers and what that impact really means for the earth and for us as humankind. Those were enlightening points to me and it was fascinating to be able to have the opportunity to work with him on this and help grow this initiative. Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. Tigers United is a, a Tigers United University Consortium is a consortium of four land grant tiger mascot universities. So Clemson University's taken the lead. We are with Auburn University, LSU, and Missouri. They all are tiger mascot universities. Um, LSU has a tiger on their campus, as you may or may not know, um, and they work, do a lot of research with that tiger there on campus. It's through their veterinary school. So the power, I believe, what makes this unique than like from other conservation programs in the country is we've got four really great uh, land grant universities that are having used to having an extension service program that used to connecting with people there on the ground and that's kind of the approach that we're taking in terms of spreading this message out and then the power of this collective research that we're going to have a research project um, hopefully beginning next summer where we're able to pull the best researcher from different disciplines at each university because it's not just a some people would think, well, this is just a conservation thing, but really it isn't. It is a multifaceted problem and there's um, biology and economics and you know social behavior. There's um, re religion to some degree and belief systems that you're having to change around the world. So it is, it is a problem that pulls in a lot of disciplines and that's what I think makes us unique. Tell me, why should four land-grant institutions that have tigers as their mascot care about the future of their mascot at all what <laughs> what i mean it's easy to go to a football game or a basketball game or whatever the sport may be at that time of the year and cheer but just not really think about the mascot at all right uh, that's our dilemma, right? There's 80,000 people seven Saturdays out of the year in Death Valley going, go Tigers, yelling go Tigers all afternoon. Or even, you know, throughout the year, people are saying that, but they don't really understand what that means in terms of the actual animal. And the reason why we should care is, well, what, who is Clemson University without their tiger mascot? Our, especially at Clemson, right? I mean, like our identity Clemson, the town, the identity is so wrapped around that tiger. Tiger Paws all over the road as you're coming in, storefronts. I mean, what happens to the identity and the uh, vision of the community when you don't have uh, a tiger anymore to, to have your mascot? Do you want to have a mascot for something that doesn't exist any longer? Then I don't think there's as strong of a, a connection to it. And the reason not to get too... Um, tree hugger but I mean the reason why people should care is this is really they're the apex um, species they are at the top of the food chain in the jungle so when they're declining that's showing our future right like the resources for them to live are dwindling that's just showing us our resources are dwindling so by saving the tiger we're saving the planet we're saving humans 
um, and trying to get that connection. And for people who, you know, may not necessarily believe in, you know, uh, global warming and all of the environmental issues that we have, that's a that is a challenge. I will say to get people to connect to that. How did this start? Someone walk into Clemson one day like, hey, we should start taking care of tigers. Well, that is our mascot. Okay, where do we start? No, really, how did this begin? It was, Brett was at a um, event for the Park Service. He's he's in um, his background is Parks Recreation and Tourism Management, and he met a gentleman by the name of Kesha Varma, who we partner with from India, and they were talking about some things in the park system. And Keshav approached him and said, "Hey, this is something that we can use in India with our tiger reserves." And Brett had already had an interest in that, but they became best buddies very quickly and started just working on the side on this. And as Brett was, you know, chair of the department and then dean, and they. Um, formalized the agreement in September of 2017. We, the agreement between Clemson and the Park um, Service? It's called the Global Tiger Forum, which okay. is an agency, the Secretariat. It's based in India, and that's who, That's also the thing that makes us truly unique, right? Like we, So we have this connection with all four universities, but then we've got this direct tie to this agency in India that works with all 13 Tiger Range countries. And they're involved in the politics of it, right? So they're connected to all the agencies and the governments in those 13 Tiger Range countries to try to implement the systemic change that needs to happen in terms of eliminating poaching, let's let's eliminate the demand for tiger parts, let's stop tiger farms, all those things and having those political conversations. They went to a ministerial conference um, in St. Petersburg, I think it was 2010, so actually, St. Petersburg, Russia, Russia. Um, Putin actually was the one who called for this to happen and pulled this first ministerial conference together. And that's when they took a census and realized we're at like 3,800 tigers. Actually, I think it was 32, it was 3,200 back then. And let's do something about this and let's set a goal of doubling that tiger population by the year 2022, which we're almost two years away. And that is the year of the Chinese, the Chinese year of tiger. Um, a very ambitious goal, biologically, maybe even a little challenging, but the tiger population has increased dramatically. So we went from 3,200 and we're now at about 3,900. So just even in a you know, seven, eight year time span, it has increased dramatically. How did India become the hub of this conversation? Tell, talk yeah. about that connection there. India is, um, they're, they're the leader in this whole worldwide initiative. They have 70% of the tiger population in the country. They have the gold star standard for saving tigers. There are a number of tiger reserves, um, which we got to visit one, Kana Tiger Reserve, um, in February. It is, it is amazing the work that they're doing. There's a beautiful, beautiful site, um, and they have, it's fenced off, the preserve is fenced off, but they have a great way of caring for the animals, of knowing um, where they're located, what issues they're having in terms of whether we've got territorial issues going on where tigers are fighting each other. They have this great program that um, others aren't doing yet. It's a rewilding program. So let's say 
uh, a mother gets attacked and dies, and then she's had two cubs or three cubs, and they're abandoned, they're orphaned. So they find those cubs, and they're too young to be able to take care of themselves. So they bring them in. We got to see this facility. It was amazing. And it's just kind of like a little um, enclosure, enclosure, and they they partition it off and get a, a an animal in there that it should be have the instinct to attack and it doesn't so like this was funny we were because of the game cox right in clemson university and the whole rivalry there they stuck a chicken in with this tiger this cub and it was afraid of it mm. it, ran, it ran from the chicken so, awesome. so we're all like uh okay and they took they ground up um chicken and had to stick it on the nose and get mm. it to smell it and lick it and realize that this is food. Yep. And they used that and trained it to start attacking the chicken. To eat it. Yeah, to eat it. And so then they graduated to larger animals like pigs and um, and then eventually uh, a deer. And then once they're able to you know start hunting those larger uh, prey, they release them back into the wild, into the tiger reserve there because they can care for themselves. But yeah, India is really at the center of it all. They've got 70% of the tigers um, in the world. They are revered there. It is a very important issue in that country. And they're using their um, influence and their successes to kind of mentor and pull along the other tiger range countries. Why land grant institutions here? What was the attraction of four land-grant institutions, because LSU, Missouri, um, Auburn, um, why not Princeton? Why not some other places? What was the attraction with the land-grant institutions? Well, I think originally it was just that Brett and Keshav connected, right? And like he was here at Clemson University. When President Clements came, Brett um, talked to President Clements and told him about this program and what we were doing. And President Clements' response was, we have a moral obligation to help these animals. Right, that comes back to this is our tiger mascot, so it's our obligation to work on this. And he um, thought, hey, we've got these other land grant universities. He was part of an educational um, consortium that he was the president of or the chair of at the time, and said, I'm going to reach out to to the others who have the tiger mascot um, as well and ask them to join us. And they immediately said yes. Again, I think the um, the reason or the interest of coming back to the land grant is just our mission, right? Thomas Green was like, this is, it's to help people. I have, gra- I have granted this land to you to help South Carolinians. Um, we are, we have extension offices all over the state. We're able to get down on the ground, do the work, reach out to the people. That model is what we're going to need to make this message widespread. Because eventually, I mean, my goal is that everybody in America understands that this is a problem. There are more. There was just a National Geographic article that came out, and it's fantastic. It has awesome photography. Um, There are more tigers in captivity in America than there are in the wild. Mm. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. I mean, I was actually thinking about the ethics behind the idea of the mascot. You know, I know the story behind why Clemson chose the tiger. It was influenced by Auburn and Princeton as uh, in the early days with uh, Walter Merritt Riggs. But what's fascinating to me is here we're the Tigers. LSU is the Tigers, Missouri. 
but there are no tigers in the wild. Like what, what made us choose that and why do we care about tigers and how can we make it? There, there's just so many questions here that we could ponder and think about. Mm-hmm. But then why is it so important as a land grant institution to protect the mascot at which we represent? I think is the biggest question. You know, why is that so important? Why should we care? Why should Clemson alumni care about this initiative? Oh, that's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and I will just back up real quick. The, the our, our partners from India, they come over here to visit. We've had them over twice now for football games and they just kind of look at us like, this is crazy. This is like, why, why do you all care so much about tigers and you're yelling tigers and there's tiger pictures and paws everywhere. They're just in all of this. They don't understand the idea of a mascot. They don't, that's not a tradition that they do over there. So yes, why, why do we care about tigers when we don't have tigers here right. um, in our country? I mean, I, I think, again, it comes back to, do you care more than um, about a football team on a field for or seven Saturdays out of the year? Like, you know, Clemson, the family, Clemson, the institution, this is our mascot, this is what represents us, right? And I would say, and people do, the parallels between the wild tiger and Clemson tigers, right? Majestic, fierce, beautiful, all those things that you think about that wild tiger, you would, and Clemson alumni do, believe this about us as an institution, our football team, our basketball team, right? This, these are the attributes that we embody. So that alone, if that's truly what we are and who we are and what we embody, well, that is what the actual tiger embodies. And we should care for that reason. You should care because this is what we represent. This is, this is a real animal that we represent (laughs) in the wild. And so you need to care and help protect it. You know, what's fascinating about this whole tiger progression is let's take the paw. Yes. Uh, the actual paw that is licensed by the institution is actually a true tiger paw right. from a print. Right. And um, with the scar and with everything. With the scar and everything. And, you know, there's so much built into that narrative that if ethically, if we don't embody the mission of this initiative, we really don't have the right to cheer it on Saturdays. Wear the tiger paw everywhere. Yeah. I mean, shouldn't that be a part of the licensing agreement? <laughs> that you, yes. Um, uh, this is a very good point. I Yes, I think that it comes down to your personal ethics and morals and values. Like, do you... This is more than just a symbol of the university. It is from an actual wild tiger, tiger and they represent an actual animal that roams the earth. And so, yeah, do you just want to flash around a symbol and not care about the meaning behind that symbol? Talk a little bit about the goals this year and next year in 2020. Um, What are you trying to do? I mean, this is more than just a big fat public awareness initiative where you're partnering with a group in India. There's big work happening. Talk about that. There is. Um, so I would say our focus um, is a lot here in America and raising 
um, education and awareness. And we have several uh, programs that we're developing that work on those. We have an elementary education program, elementary aged education program that will roll out probably late spring. Um, again, it comes back to we've got Clemson Elementary, for example, that's the Tigers. Go Tigers, yell Tigers, right? And we're so connected to Clemson University. Well, we need to start educating those kids at a very early age of, hey, there is a real tiger and it is in danger and we need to help it. And then those kids go home and tell their families about it and it educates the parents and the grandparents. So that's the first thing is just education and outreach in our country. And then through the partnership um, with our global uh, Tiger Forum, we are starting a social media awareness campaign again in the spring and reaching out to our international um, students, faculty, and staff and going to use the collective power of social media and from the people from those Tiger Range countries to pitch political and social pressure, if you will, on the entities within their home country to say, hey, this is an important issue to us and we want you to do X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z changes per country, right? Like the big bad wolf right now is China. Like their things are not going well in China. <laughs> they have a belief system that is based on the myth and mysterious uh, behind the tiger and that it has healing powers and it makes men, you know, sexually robust. And so let's get their parts, grind them up and put them into different medicines and sell them. And that is a huge um, industry and it drives a lot of the poaching. It also creates these tiger farms, uh, which also makes the poaching even worse. And so where there's a lot of tiger farms, there are usually about no wild tigers there. Um, so all of us coming together, all those other countries coming together and putting the political pressure onto China, we're hoping we'll actually move the needle. Um, I don't know, because if you saw earlier this year, they actually had lifted um, the ban on poaching for a while, and then they got so much outcry about it, they put it back in place. Um, so things like that, we've, we've got to put an end to it. Um, and then in terms of capacity building, we're, we've got our PhD program and we have um, eight PhD candidates right now from India at all four institutions. So they're working with our students, our faculty at each university and doing their research, getting their education and going to be able to take the knowledge that they gain and the research that they've got and go back to their um, to, to India and to their agencies where they work in India and be able to bring that information back to their work that they do on a daily basis to like the Tiger Reserve that I was telling you about. Tell me, and this is a very blunt question, but what can America give India that India doesn't already have from these land-grant institutions? What can we do from an educational standpoint? What what are these students coming to get when we don't have tigers here? All we have is resources. Yes. Um, so I would say the way that we run parks, um, technology mm -hmm. is a huge part of it. Usually we have a little bit more advanced technology that, or, or technologies that are maybe being used for something else 
that they can see how this can apply for us to be able to save tigers, whether that's doing a better job of counting them, uh, capturing, uh, capturing poachers mm-hmm. before they you know get to the animals as they're getting into the reserves. Um, from a one of the other issues, the probably the third issue in terms of um, the threat to them is the human wildlife conflict. Mm-hmm. There are um, villages, and I mean like you know villages where people don't have running water and all that and they're living off of the land so Mm -hmm. they're hunting the same animals that are the prey for the tigers gotcha so that's an economic issue right and a sociological issue like how do we help these people how how can we sustain them that doesn't then become um, a threat to the tigers they're living in close proximity to the tiger reserves they're are incidences where um, an article just came out again from, I think it was BBC Future this week, uh, a tiger, man-eating tiger, it attacked a man. As t- this is what happens when they, right, the wildlife and the people get so close together. Um, and in some instances, the village, they'll, they'll kill cows and things, right, that the people are need to sustain yep. themselves. So then it becomes a, ah, we're out to kill a tiger, and you've got an mo- angry mob um, ready to find and, and kill this tiger. So that, I think, right there, in terms of understanding human behavior and um, the economics and how can we um, help them to develop systems that will help in those instances. Tell me a little bit about, there's four academic institutions, land-grant institutions. What does each one of them bring to the table? Are they... Because obviously, you'd all all four of your disciplines don't want to research the same thing. What do they each one bring into the table? Um, we're still working through that. I would say that the thing that the other two that two other institutions have that we don't is a veterinary school. Uh, um, you know, like LSU's got a strong veterinary program, and so being able to pull that resource that we don't have, where mm-hmm. we've got a very strong parks recreation program. Um, we're still looking at the, what's the strength of each university that's unique and brings it in, whether it's from a business perspective or a sociology, like who's the top researcher in all of these disciplines that we want to be able to pull in onto this collective research uh, grant that we want to do. Why does India get so excited about working with Clemson on a project like this? Um well, I mean, I think, you know, any connection that they can have with America is obviously intriguing and good for them. The power of Clemson University football, I think, is just universal, right? Like, we're right. a powerhouse. Um, they were, were a well-known, well-recognized university that has made great strides in the last five years, and not just athletically, but academically, too, right? Like, we're a research right. one institution, so... That's an attractive relationship. So you did not get your undergraduate or graduate degrees at Clemson. <laughs> I did not. Where did you get those? Um, from West Virginia University. Go Mountaineers. Go Mountaineers. <laughs> so now that you're a part of this initiative, yes. what do you think about Clemson? Um, I, I got all in to Clemson when I got here. I will say I grew up, I I grew up where West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia, mm-hmm. and I grew up with I thought like we love football like we are a football school and 
the whole town shuts down and everybody goes to the football game, right? Like, that's how I grew up. So when I got here and I went to my first Clemson game, I mean, I was just like, my mouth just fell open. I thought, this is insane. <laughs> like, these, wow, like, we are not even close to being as passionate about football and our team and um, the family. Like, that, that is not just a cliche that people say, the Clemson family. Like, it, it is an amazing experience to see that at work and then to be kind of adopted into the family, which I think I got my way in because I did have such a love for Clemson. I was just like, this is a great place. It's a beautiful campus. The people are amazing. We Everybody truly cares about each other. And why not? Why would I not want to be a part of this? That people were like, okay, well, we'll take you. You're one of us. You can wear orange. <laughs> <laughs> so... What was the moment that you really got fired up about this initiative, Tigers United? When did it move from being work to a passion? To a passion. Okay, so like I said, I was excited already because of my oh, I know how to run a nonprofit and I can help build this thing, and wouldn't that be amazing too? Um, Being in India in February, it was. In the morning, we had on our first day in the reserve, we had already seen two tigers. So it was already a successful trip out. And we were headed back to the camp where we were staying. And the two cars, we were in three different cars. And so we were the third car to come up. And everybody's like stopped. We're like, what the heck's going on here? Um, and so we stopped and pulled up behind. And, we're, and I was like, oh, there's. Um, <laughs> there's a deer over there like moving or something and Andrew was like that's a tiger is eating that deer and we sat there for 20 minutes and watched this massive tiger just I mean it had just killed a sandbar deer which is huge and it had dragged it down the hill and was laying there in the ditch and just eating on it and let us watch it like it let us watch it because they will say oh you know get up I don't you know here come people, I'm leaving, I'll come back to it later. No, he just like sat there and ate and had his brunch and let us take video and pictures and just sit there in awe. And there was just, um, I don't know how to describe it, just something inside of you, like, I don't know, just uh, almost like a religious experience, you know, where you just have this... um, flutter in your heart and you just feel this connection of like this is oh my gosh like this is amazing this animal is truly amazing and that's why I think if Clemson alumni if everybody got the chance to actually see an animal like that in the wild and I don't mean behind bars in a zoo I mean that's amazing too but to see them in their environment and see how they live there's no way that that doesn't touch your heart, and you say, "Okay, I've, I, I got to do some. I got to do my part to save this animal." Describe a tiger. Paint us a picture of that moment—the first time you saw a tiger in the wild, in its environment. Paint us that picture. What does it look, feel, sound? Yeah, I'm not even going to do it justice. It was—it's it's amazing, um, beautiful, right? Like just the vibrant colors like I feel like photography does not even do the colors of these animals justice um their eyes 
beautiful but also like fierce piercing kind of like you know I can take you out with a slave of a claw um the majestic the power you can feel the power of them we heard that he was sitting there eating and we heard crunching like I heard something like breaking and we realized he's breaking the bones and that tiger is he's eating it or the deer he's chomping through crushing bones while he's eating this deer that was amazing to be able to hear like this tiger in its element just devouring this deer and no oh my gosh he he's crushing bones doing this and then to just it's not like he ran off you know, Solace and was like, okay, I gotta get out of here. He just got up and licked his lips. There was blood dripping off of his mouth um, and stood up, like, let us get another head, head on picture and then just gently sauntered across the road and down the hill. So there's this, you know, they're very, there's kind of the yin and the yang, right? Majestic, fierce, powerful, and then also this just very, beautiful and serene and like you know you just you just love them like people are like I wish I could cuddle with them and you do like they're they look so soft and you know like you would just want to lay on them like a pillow and so that whole here's this animal that just looks so peaceful and beautiful and but then has this power within it <laughs> see I can't do it justice no, it was great. I, I I think about how to describe something you've seen for the first time in a way that brings justice mm-hmm. to that imagery. And I think about times when I have, an example would be is being in northern Arizona with no lights and sitting out at 3 a.m. and seeing all the stars or looking at the San Francisco peaks or standing in La Jolla looking at the Pacific Ocean or um, being in the desert and seeing what the sun looks like as it it crests, as it goes down and the colors across. Mm -hmm. It's those many different things that we've seen that we find ourselves wanting to get our cameras out to capture it, but then we miss it. Mm-hmm. We don't embrace it. We don't just allow our eyes to consume it and take it back for themselves. And I really loved your description of the tiger because I feel like that allows us to move away from looking at the pictures mm-hmm. and seeing them as something more than an image, mm-hmm. uh, something that brings reality to not only a cause, but a connection. Wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I will tell you another powerful moment we had. That I mean, and we, they told us, our host told us that we had the most um, amazing trip. They've never, first of all, the people who work there had never witnessed something like that. So that special moment. Um, and we saw six, six tigers mm-hmm. during our entire trip. And a lot of people are lucky if they even see one. You have people who come and you don't get to see any during the trip. So we saw six. They just thought that was crazy that we'd seen that many. We were driving through, we were coming back from the rewilding program demonstration and them talking to us about that. And they, somebody um, ahead had spotted a tiger. It was across this ravine. 
And so we were, we couldn't get close enough to see it. And we were just parked and sitting there and it roared. And I wish that we had this microphone to capture it. It sounds nothing like what's played in Death Valley every Saturday. It sounds nothing like that. And it was miles from us and it felt like it was right there near us. That's how loud and it vibrated everything and it like shook your body. It, it was amazing. It was amazing. And again, just to be like, feel that power and have that moment of, that was a tiger roar from like two miles away. And I can hear it like it was sitting right here next to us. That's pretty awesome. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.